Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Anybody feel like we've been on a really bad roller coaster for the last two years? It's been quite crazy. I think we all started 2020 with like, oh, 2020 vision. This is going to be really good. It'll be the best year. And yeah, vision was for real. We saw some stuff, at least. (laughs) And it got pretty wild. And then we jumped into 2021, and we realized that it was just 2020 all over again. And then came 2022, and we're like, oh, wow, this is like the the sequel um, to the whole thing. And uh, I think... Um, yeah, we're just going to tread lightly. I'm not going to say it's going to be a good year for everybody. We'll just not touch anything and, and see what happens. Um, no, I actually believe that God's up to something. And, and I believe that what the enemy's actually doing is he's overplaying his hand. And so, um, you know, in, in Ephesians 6, it says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the spiritual realm. Here's our problem. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, which means this. When there's somebody that we disagree with, is it possible that they're not the one our battle is with? That quite possibly, if in that person, which it's easy to vilify somebody that sees things differently than you, right? We've done that before. But let's just say in the extreme scenario that in that person there is something going on that's not great. If we begin to understand that the battle is not flesh and blood, then the person that we disagree with at the very worst, at the very extreme, is not our enemy, they're a hostage. And as far as I know, we don't shoot the hostage. And here's what we're doing, and not just in the world, not just in our nation, but even in the church. We're seeing people who think differently than us. Maybe they're the ones deceived. Maybe you're the one deceived. Maybe we're all a little deceived, whatever's going on. As if they were the enemy instead of our brother, our sister. And see, as we rewind the the reel, I hate to take you through it, but we jumped into 2020, right? And we started hearing rumors of this pandemic that may make it from China to the USA, and then things begin shutting down. As they begin shutting down, I actually found myself really, really sick. Um, I was probably one of the first people around to get the good old round one of coronavirus. Um, There was a guy that on a Zoom call much later, how many of you are done with Zoom, by the way? On a Zoom call much later said, hey, you know, my parents met with somebody from China and they gave you, they they met with them and then I was with them and got sick and then I came uh, to church and gave you a hug and then... I got sick. Um, 
And at that point, we didn't really know what was going on, right? Like it was pretty fearful in, in Italy, 10% of people that got it weren't surviving. And so we didn't know. Imagine my wife at home with a sick husband and three little kids thinking, oh my goodness, what's, what's going to happen? Luckily, you know, the, the end of that story is that I, I survived. Um, <laughs> And I, and I lost 10 pounds in the process. And so I began running immediately after that because I thought, man, I can't lose 10 pounds that easily. And so I'm gonna see if I can just go ahead and keep that off. Um, turns out I, I found it. Um, and, and so we all went into lockdowns, right? And we just thought, oh, you know what? Like, this is, this is potentially really serious and, and I want to love my neighbor well. And so let's all just sit tight for two weeks that got turned into four weeks, that got turned into six weeks, that got turned into like this lifestyle thing. And what happened is we were all starting connected and like, hey, we're gonna fight this thing together. And then the enemy began to whisper lies of division. And here's what happens. When we find ourselves isolated, it's easy to make enemies of the people that we don't see, right? And so we found ourselves in a place where we were susceptible to lies and to division. And I think quite honestly, the media has been gaslighting us and trying to get us to, to, to hate each other, right? And then I'm actually on vacation, probably not supposed to be, but on vacation, and I get news of the murder of George, George Floyd. And I'm heartbroken because here's what I recognized is that, yeah, you could probably argue all sorts of stuff with stats, but we have a history in our nation of incredible division of slavery and Jim Crow and segregation where we haven't honored each other well. And so for our black brothers and sisters, that wasn't just a story, but it was a picture of all of their fears being put in all of our faces. And here's what I've learned in that process is that one, not everything has healed. Have we made progress? Absolutely, but not everything is as it should be. Right? Are you with me? The other thing that I, I, I know is that Holocaust survivors and their kids up to three generations are marked with the trauma Neuroscience can see the trauma on their brain from people that never experienced what was experienced. Not to mention that there's stories told from generation to generation that are necessary stories to tell because it's the story of their families and the story of their pain and, and even wisdom on how to survive. And the enemy began to build on that division. And here's, here's one of the things that I saw in that, is the immediate answer was an attempt to bring logic into the middle of pain. 
that people begin to use stats and say, well, you know, there's this many black people and this many white people killed, all that stuff. But what I think we failed to realize is that our brothers and sisters were actually in pain and that there was real trauma going on that had been surfaced. And what I've realized in raising kids is that when my kids get hurt, it's not my responsibility first to correct them and tell them why they shouldn't have done it or why they shouldn't have gotten hurt or to try to bring some sort of logic into the middle of their pain, but instead to draw near and to hurt and to cry and to hold. Now, this is not a message on racism, but what I do want to say is that there has been an incredible attempt to divide us. And then we saw all sorts of stuff happen on top of that. We saw, you know, everybody's hurting financially. Then there's stimulus, stimulus package stuff that comes out and people go on shopping sprees, right? And we saw all the riots that happened in the summer of 2020. And then we saw that lead into one of the most miserable and divisive political seasons that I've ever seen, right? And everybody's trying to figure out what's real, what's true, how can we survive? And what happens is, is that when we begin to move from that place of living life normally to how do I make it, how do I survive, we begin to retreat into our own survival mechanisms. And we saw it continue as all the mask and anti-mask stuff, all the, the vaccine, anti-vaccine and anti-mandate stuff and just incredible division continue to be sown in the middle of us. And it's been quite a bit. And here's what I realize is that God actually has an answer for all of it. And that it's not found in puffing up our own opinions because everybody's got one, right? But it's actually found in drawing near to each other. You see, God's plan for the world was always family. I want to talk to you about kingdom family. You understand that God's solution was never intended to be in politics, never intended to be in media, education, or even in religion. God's heart was that the world would live as family. And here's what we see in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, the very beginning, this is our design. Then, it, then God said, let us. It's important to understand that word, us. That word us is God speaking from the Trinity, the perfect family, the perfect community, giving life to each other, honoring and deferring to each other, the picture of family that we were meant to live in. It says, let us make mankind in our own image and likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
One thing I want you to get, look at your neighbor. Tell them you look like your father. You see, when we dishonor each other, we actually dishonor the image of God that we were created in. I said, God bless them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God's plan was this, that Adam and Eve would start a big family and that from their big family, the world would be led into its purpose, into its design, into its destiny. God's solution for the world that the kingdom of heaven would be advanced on the world from the very beginning was that it would be in the context of family. When God goes to Abraham, he doesn't say, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many religions. Now, God's command to Abraham was to start a family, not a religion. And what we want to do is we want to take what God is doing and make it into seven simple steps to do this and three points to do that so that we can incorporate it into our lives instead of be incorporated into his. But God's invitation from the very beginning was that we would be family. So he tells Abraham, let's be family. And then Jesus comes on to the scene And Jesus, his desire, his design was actually to reveal the Father. When the disciples in Matthew chapter 6 ask Jesus how to pray, he doesn't tell them to pray, Lord God or great master. He says, let's pray this way. Let's pray our Father. Not just my father, not your father, but our father. One of my spiritual fathers, Jack Taylor, would say it this way. If God would have wanted something other than a family, then he would have told us to call himself something other than father. But if he's our father, that actually makes us family. Amen? Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. This is where we'll land. Paul's writing to the church here in Ephesus. This letter was one that was actually meant to be circulated because the church in Ephesus was pretty exemplary in how they were doing. And yet they were facing a major issue of division. Their division was racial division. And it was the Jews and the Gentiles. And it was actually not just race, but two cultures that were uh, pretty opposed to each other. Starting in verse 14, let's read. He says, For he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace, who made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Say one new humanity. one new humanity. Out of the two. Thus 
making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which you put to death their hostility. Let me ask you this question. Has your hostility been put to death through the cross? When you watch whatever news station you watch or whatever newspaper you read or whoever you listen to or whatever it is, is that creating hostility in you or is it creating love and compassion? Let's let our hostility be put to death, even if it's somebody who believes totally opposite to you. He came and he preached to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Say household. Household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. Say holy temple. In the Lord and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Here's what God's up to. If you want to know what he's doing in the world, he's building a family. And he's building a family that would be a temple. And the temple is this. It's the place where heaven and earth meet. And what he's doing is he wants to build his church in such a way that he can pour out his spirit on us and that we can represent him well to the world around us. And the way that he's going to do that is that we're going to have to be in it together. You see, what he's doing is he's laying a foundation. It's already been laid. It's the person of Jesus. And then he's making you and I building stones, living stones that he would build that temple where heaven and earth could meet. And so what he's saying to us is will we allow our lives to be laid down on the foundation that he's laid in himself so that we can be built up so that he could pour out his spirit on us? You see, what God isn't after in our day and age is a holy man or a holy woman that can do great things. He's after a holy people who are set apart and consecrated to him, who are in love with him and connected to each other in such a way that the life of heaven could be poured out on us that we would be a people that look like him, that, that people would look at the church and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe God did it there in those people. Their backgrounds, their stories, their beliefs and opinions are so different, but there's something there that is drawing them to each other so that they would lay down all that other stuff and become united in him. I believe that's the invitation for our day, that God is looking for a people who will be family. Now, we've got a few problems. One, most of us come from less than perfect families. Truthfully, all of us come from less than perfect families. And so we've got to figure out what it means to be family. And in that we have to recognize this reality. That for us to be family does not mean that we're going to get it perfectly. 
for us to be family doesn't mean that we won't hurt each other and disappoint each other. And it does not mean that we all need to look alike, think alike. But instead, for us to be family means that we're committed to each other regardless of what happens. We say, I am in this with you, even if at times I don't like you. Even if at times you make me really angry. Years ago, we had a college student that were walking through some tough stuff. And they said, hey, you guys, we call ourselves family. And family doesn't hurt each other. And I was thinking, man, I want to be part of your family. (laughs) Because my family, I love my family. I've got, quite honestly, I feel so blessed to have the parents, the siblings that I have. But we hurt each other. And what family does when we hurt each other is that we actually begin to work it out. What family does when we hurt each other, what healthy family does is we don't leave, but we stay committed. What family does is we lay down our lives for each other. What family does is not say, well, they didn't, you know, cook my favorite meal, so I'm out. Right? But instead, I'm in regardless. You see, family's a great idea until you start putting people into it, right? <laughs> Where it's like, oh man, this is, this is perfect. And then I joined and I'm like, oh no, it's not perfect anymore. It's actually painful and a mess and difficult. But I believe that God wants to do something with people who are filled with his spirit, who learn to love like Jesus and are willing to learn and grow together. One of the greatest gifts I have is by being around people who don't think like me. Because that actually sharpens the way that I think. So often we want to just gather with a bunch of people that think like us. That reinforce our own belief systems, our own ideas about life. But it's actually when we say, hey, we're, we're in this regardless, that we actually can learn and grow together. And what happens is you take that jagged rock that's supposed to be a building stone but doesn't seem to fit anywhere. And you use some other rocks and you begin to round off the edges and you make it so that it actually fits. And that's what God wants to do with our lives. That's why he wants to put us together, why he wants to put us in family, not because we immediately fit or because we look like any other stone in the wall. In fact, God wants to bring you in because he wants to take somebody who thought they had no fit and show them that there's a perfect fit. And he wants to put you in the wall that he's building because there's no one else like you. So often we look for a group of people in a place that would confirm all of our beliefs about life. But what if you're the unique flavor that God is adding to the mix? I love what it says then in in chapter three. I'm going to skip to verse 10. It says, his intent, the intent of Jesus was that now through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What he's saying is this, that it's God's design that the world would say to the, of the church, look what they did. Look at who they are. Look at how they've come together. These two don't seem to fit at all, and yet they are a multifaceted display of the wisdom and design of who God is. I believe that's the invitation of heaven that us being God's family, representing him well, would make the world go, wow, look at God. And that the result of that would be that God's kingdom comes. Because where there is unity, which it's, unity is not uniformity. Where there is unity, it commands a blessing. So God's made us to be stones. I love the way that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. So he's made us to be stones, but there in Chapter 12, he's made us to be a body and that we each have a function to play. Some of us may be the mouth or the eyes. Others may be the gallbladder. <laughs> but you have a part to play. And God's putting it together. And here's the reality. In that same passage in 1 Corinthians 12, he starts talking about spiritual gifts. And the reality is, is that there is grace on your life that will only come alive when you're put into the body, that will only be discovered and grow when you are connected to the body, not when you're all by yourself. And that you actually need the family of God to help you step into your destiny and live out your purpose that you would recognize the grace on your life because you're in a safe enough environment that you would be able to practice, to discover, to grow, to be equipped, to make mistakes. I believe that God wants to put us in, not just in family and not just make us a temple, but also put us in a body so that we can discover our part to play. I think for me, being with the people of God in in family situations, circumstances, settings that I've actually been able to discover the call of God on my life because I've had people that would say to me, wow, I've never thought of it that way. I've never seen that before. I've never heard that before. And all of a sudden I start to recognize, hey, I'm not like everybody else, but I think a little bit differently, just like you think a little bit differently. And you've got a little bit different grace on your life, a little bit different flavor from God. And all of a sudden start to realize, whoa, there is a unique part for me to play. And if I don't play my part, if I don't bring who I am and what I have, then everybody else will miss out on that thing. And I, I love throughout scripture, throughout the New Testament, the word that's used for church. It's ecclesia. Say ecclesia. And ecclesia is a Greek word a lot of the language in the New Testament was actually borrowed from different governmental terms, different cultural terms, and brought into Christianity. This one's unique and important because the ecclesia were actually 
the assembly of the called out ones. The assembly of the called out ones. They were like the local government for the city. In fact, it was, it was kind of like in the Old Testament how you would have the elders that sat in the, at the gate. And what they would do when they sat at the gate is they would determine what goes out and what comes in. The role of the church in society, our responsibility is to say this is allowed and this is not allowed. And it's not to say it necessarily so that the world can hear, but so that the principalities and powers in the spiritual realm can hear. So that we would pray in such a way that say human trafficking is not allowed in our city. That we would say prosperity is allowed in our city. That we would say divorce is not allowed in our city that healthy families are allowed in our city, that racism is not allowed in our city, that unity is allowed in our city, and that we would begin to take our place as the government of God and the places that he's placed us so that what he wants to do in filling his living temple with his presence could actually happen, so that we could live as an answer to the prayer of Jesus on earth as it is in heaven. You want to you recognize that when 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 God set things in order in Genesis 1, it was his design that people, Adam and Eve and their descendants, which is you and me, that we would be the ones that would lead the world into its purpose. And he's never changed his design. He's never changed his plan. And so I believe so often when we ask God, why are there these problems in the world? He's asking us the same question. I've given you dominion there. I've called you to be the ecclesia, to bring my kingdom. And it's not coming because you're not acting like my people. And I believe that God wants to build a family that becomes the government of God. What I'm not talking about is dominionism and the church rule of society. Very far from that. There's something way bigger than that going on. What God has called us to is to have influence with people. There's no domination of people, right? That's not the point. Our relationship with people should always be from a place of influence, not from a place of power. Our place of power comes in the spiritual realm where he's given us authority over the enemy. And when we begin to live out that place, what we find is that God's kingdom advances, that his kingdom comes. Look around just for a second. There's some really beautiful people around you. There's some that are, you know, just kidding, just kidding. God's not after a bunch of people that would sit in a church service for an hour and a half a week and say, this is family. What God wants to do is he wants to put us in relationships with each other that we can grow and be refined and be strengthened. That we can represent him well. Let me say this, in just a few minutes, you'll have an opportunity to, to join a community group. And I love community groups. I love what happens in Sozo's community groups. There's incredible things that happen. But the end game and what I'm talking about is not just that you would get in a community group and show up once a week for a couple hours to somebody's house, 
put on your spiritual hat and say, hey, look at me. But that we would actually live life with each other. That we would be in each other's lives and challenge each other and grow. And I think community groups is a great starting place for that. But it's not the answer. What God is doing is he wants to build his family on earth as it is in heaven. That we would represent the Trinity really well. I want to pray for you and then we'll watch a a video and then Natalie will give you some instructions on community group and Connect Sunday stuff. Father, we just thank you for your great love for us. Lord, I, I want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven through us as a people that look like you, that love like you, that serve like you. And so my request, our request, Father, is that you would do that in us. And Lord, I pray for those who are lonely and in need of family, Lord, that you would connect them to life and to lifelong spiritual family. Pray for those that are hurting and isolated, Lord, that you would meet them and love on them through the people around them. And Lord, I pray that you would make Sozo Church a shining beacon for your life. that the world around would say, look what God's doing there in those people. Only he could do that. We love you, Jesus. Amen.